Let's give our attentive listening uh, to the reading of God's holy and inerrant word. A gossip betrays a confidence, but a trustworthy person keeps a secret. A perverse person stirs up conflict, and a gossip separates close friends. The words of a gossip are like choice morsels. They go down to the inmost parts. The purposes of a person's heart are deep waters, but one who has insight draws them out. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that everyone will have to give account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, would you give us uh, wisdom now to not only hear it with our ears, but uh, also with our hearts, uh, and let understanding lead to a holy life, a life that is pleasing to you. Uh, Lord, mature us through your word uh, into the image of your Son. We pray in his name. Amen. Uh, I don't know if you recognize the sermon title for today. Despite uh, the title, I want to assure you, I'm not a George Michael fan. And uh, although this, the song by the same title does have a very like epic saxophone solo in it, um, I'm just trying to highlight one, one aspect of the song that I found really relevant to the topic today. The song goes, time can never, and you can't not hear the melody, I'm sorry. Time can never mend the careless whispers of a good friend. To the heart and mind, ignorance is kind. There's no comfort in the truth. Pain is all you'll find. Um, what this conveys, I think, is a fairly common human experience wherein a good friendship uh, gets ruined by a few careless whispers, a few, few careless words. And it's not something that time can simply mend. Uh, so what happens, uh, according to Mr. George Michael? Uh, the music stops, and I'm never going to dance again the, the, the way I dance with you, right? It, it brings a certain relational, communal brokenness. Um, what does? Gossip. And that's consistent with our experience and also with why scripture warns us against uh, gossip so sternly and so seriously. Um, in, in the few passages we read today, and we, we took NIV passages this time because um, I, I, I agree a bit more with a couple of the instances where the ESV may translate a word as uh, slander uh, when NIV translates it as gossip. I, I just lean slightly more towards that in that instance, so I picked the NIV translation. But in the few passages we read today, it warns us of how gossip can betray trust, how it stirs up conflict, and how it has even the power to sever the bonds of a very close friendship. Elsewhere in the Bible, we didn't look at these passages, but uh, it lists gossip as a mark, as a clear indicator of godlessness. Uh, Romans 1 Paul traces gossip to what he calls a depraved mind. Strong words. Um, in his letter to the Corinthians, 
the Corinthian church, he cites gossip as one of the major causes of the church's disorder and division. And if you know anything about the Corinthian church, they had a lot of issues, a lot of sensational sins. Um, But he lists gossip as one of the chief ones. And add to this all the obligations that um, just came to us through the ninth commandment, right, regarding our speech. And all this indicates to us this is a very important topic to address as a church. Um, And especially as we try to build that second pillar in our in our current series, the, the relational cultural pillar in addition to the structural principle pillar. Um, if we want to pursue a healthy church and have a solid uh, relational cultural pillar, we, we do need to know how to uh, perceive gossip, diagnose it, and prevent and or combat it. Okay. If you have no clue how to do that, it's, it's, hard, to, it's hard to keep a church healthy. Uh, so that's why we're pursuing this. We're, we're diving into this topic in... Uh, view of our current series in pursuit of a healthy church and we're doing this with the help of uh, these proverbs proverbs being a very relationally wise uh, literature in the bible and here's the outline i want to present to you today right with three points first i want to look with you at uh, what gossip looks like okay what does it look like and and also in that what does it look like to the world versus what does it look like to christians to god's people because they look very different. Okay, what does it look like? But on the one hand, to God's people and to the world. Um, Two, second point, what drives or motivates gossip? What causes it? And three, uh, how the gospel uh, remedies gossip, okay? So what gossip looks like to the world and to us, uh, what drives or motivates gossip, and how the gospel remedies these three okay so point number one what gossip looks like uh, proverbs eleven thirteen says a gossip betrays a confidence but a trustworthy person keeps a secret okay. um, the hebrew word for gossip here is a peddler of secrets a peddler of secrets or a deceiver or even a spy so the first thing to note there is that when the Bible defines gossip, it defines it less as a behavior, like something people do, but more so as a type of person. Gossip is a type of person, not, not a form of uh, behavior uh, per se. What the Bible says is not so much they do gossip, but they are gossips. Okay. Uh, it's who they are more so than what they do. It's, it says more about their character on the inside than uh, their behavior. And, and what Proverbs eleven thirteen tells us is that such a person is a betrayer of confidence, a betrayer of trust, those who disclose what's meant to be secure and safe in a trustworthy uh, relationship. So, so naturally, what this looks like then is information about a person being shared by someone other than that person. Uh, and, and it's shared in the absence of, of that person, without their consent and without their presence. And that's, that's another marker of, of gossip. Saying things you would not say if that person were present. Um, when something negative about that person, something judgmental or, or potentially critical, is said behind their backs. 
Scripture calls that betrayal. It's what we call backstabbing. Uh, scripture calls that betrayal. Behaving as though you are, you are trustworthy when you're receiving the information from that someone, but then um, turning around and, and using that information against that person. Um, that person who confided in you. That's betrayal of trust. Now, what does that look like? Well, in our culture, that looks rather innocent, doesn't it? Uh, it actually looks like rather innocent fun. It permeates our culture. We live in a time uh, when gossip is actually an industry that makes millions and millions of dollars every year. Um, it's And it's spread right, very casually um, through social media. It's packaged in news media. Uh, and, and get sent directly to, to our phones or to our living room. It's considered innocent fun, but not only is it innocent fun, it's lucrative fun. People make a lot of money out of spreading this kind of gossip. Um, but that's not at all what it looks like from a scriptural perspective. If you put on a scriptural lens and look at it, it isn't lucrative. Gossip isn't lucrative. It's actually, it bankrupts you from that most important thing in your life, your relationship with your neighbors, your friendships. Um, it's not innocent fun to, to mindlessly scroll through gossip. It's, it's an act of betrayal against your neighbor whom you're called to love. So Proverbs 16.28 gets a bit more directly to that kind of relational communal consequence of gossip. It says, a perverse person stirs up conflict and a gossip separates close friends. Strong language again, right? If, if you gossip, you're not just doing something perverse. You are a perverse person, okay? Why? Well, if your speech is perverse, uh, that says something about your character. Again, it's not what you do, it's who you are. It, it says that in Matthew 12, 35, evil things come out of the evil stored up in the man's heart, right? And, and gossip is the same. Um, and such a person, it says, stirs up conflict, right? It's as if where they go, conflict goes. Uh, dissension follows. Um, maybe they left a situation thinking, you know, it's, it was that situation that was problematic, but wherever they go, they stir up conflict in that new situation they're in. Um, and that says something about the person. Um, it's not situational, it's more personal and what's going on on the inside. Uh, they stir up conflict even in situations where it's completely avoidable. And it says that a gossip separates close friends, close friends. And that's a, that's a phrase that's really indicating the, the closest bonds that we make with one another, whether that's bonds of you know, best friends, husband and wife, um, members of the same church, brothers and sisters in Christ. There's enough toxicity in gossip to break apart even the strongest bonds we develop with one another. It's that poisonous. Gossip is that relational uh, cancer um, that should not be taken lightly. Um, Ray Orland 
put it this way. He says, quote, gossip is a sin rarely disciplined, but often more socially destructive than the sensational sins. It leaves a wide trail of devastation wherever and however it goes, word of mouth, email, YouTube. It creates a social environment of suspicion. It ruins hard-won reputations with cowardly but effective weapons of misrepresentation. It manipulates people into taking sides when no such action is necessary. It unleashes the dark powers of psychological transference. It makes the body of Christ look like the body of the Antichrist. Okay, that is what gossip look, should look like to us in a nutshell. It's, it makes us look like a community of people speaking the, the opposite of the language of Christ. It's the language of the Antichrist. That's as strong as it gets, isn't it? The gossip, in short, is demonic. Uh, and that explains also the strong warning language in Matthew 12, 36. But I tell you, every person will have to give account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. Right. Uh, God doesn't take into account just the incidents where we abuse our speech. It says every word will be taken into account. So uh, because when we gossip, we're not just in conflict with the person we're gossiping about or the person hearing the gossip, but also it puts us in conflict with our maker and our neighbor's maker. Uh, the scriptures take gossip very, very seriously. Right? We, we can never, by knowing this, never look at gossip as innocent fun, as uh, something you kill time with. Right? It's immoral toxic, it's dark, even you can go as far as to say it's demonic. Okay. That's what gossip should look like to us as opposed to what it looks like to the world. All right. Now, why do we do it? <laughs> That's the second point. What, what drives or uh, motivates gossip? Proverbs 25 tells us that the purposes of a person's heart are deep waters, but one who has insight draws them out. Uh, meaning, we may not be able to pinpoint one particular or singular reason behind why people gossip, but if we were to bring in various like biblical data on how the human heart functions, I think we can get some helpful insight into the, the various motivations and reasons behind gossip. And what I want to do is quickly list for you seven. Okay, uh, seven things that drive or motivate gossip in people's lives, all right? Here's the first two, numbers uh, one and two. Gossip has a way of giving the gossiper a powerful and pleasurable sensation of being on the inside, uh, being part of this self-invented inner circle. It's a way of saying, I have this knowledge that you do not have, and therefore, it gives me a measure of power and control over your curiosity. And, and that can make you feel kind of good for a little while. Okay. Uh, there's actually a neuroscientist who, who's shown that gossip has this kind of effect on the brain, too, where for some people, the reward center of their brain will light up in response to gossip. It's the, it's the same part of your brain that lights up when you're eating your favorite candy or when I'm drinking boba, okay. That, that's the reward center lighting up, and for some people, when they hear gossip, that's when it lights up, 
I remember um, just chancing upon news about the Johnny Depp trial, right? It was just kind of all over the place. And then I started looking into it a little bit more and more. And I think I spent a good 30 minutes just looking into someone else's divorce um, and, and their private matters. <laughs> Why? And I thought about it, and maybe part of the, the pleasure I was gaining from that was, well, at least my marriage doesn't look like that. I don't have his money, but I have a better marriage than him. It, it elevates you in a sense, makes you feel better about yourself. It's literally like what Proverbs 18 says, the words of a gossip are like choice morsels, like candy. They go down the inmost parts, which is really insightful. It doesn't just go down into your stomach. It goes to your inmost part. It satisfies something at your heart level. It, it takes the human heart on a power trip. And, and think of, if, you, if you're feeling rather powerless, wouldn't this be your greatest temptation then? Right? To feel powerful again, to feel like you're on the inside again, you're, you're knowledgeable again, you demand people's attention. It's a powerful temptation. And when you give into it, it's pleasurable, at least for a little while. So that's motivations one and two, power, and pleasure. Uh, number three, the fear of man. The fear of man is another common motivator uh, for gossip. It's this fear of being excluded, right? um, driving someone to use gossip as a means of keeping someone engaged in what they have to say. It's related to wanting to belong, you know, in that inner circle, but now it's infused more with fear and and submission uh, to to your listener, to the people that you want to gain their attention of. It's not just a desire to have power over them. You have this fearful submission to them, caving to the pressure to belong to them, um, and saying whatever about anyone in order to avoid being excluded. Right? Think um, Mean Girls. Have you seen Mean Girls? Excellent movie. Um, highly recommend. Um, and you, you see a group of people following the queen bee, right? Um, why? It's, it's, you see them. It's out of fear. They, they fearfully submit to her every whim. Right. And they get together. What do they do? They gossip about others. So that's number three, fear of man. Uh, here's number four and five because they're very much related. Grumbling and venting. Um, grumbling and venting often come in the form of gossip. Okay. If you're grumbling and venting, chances are you're feeling miserable about something. And misery loves company. And so gossip can become this sort of self-soothing mechanism at the expense of someone else. Uh, just grumbling and venting about someone, sharing about someone else's misery to distract from self-misery. And, and consistent with you know, a, a lot of these instances of grumbling and venting, this kind of you know, gossip presents problems without solutions and it, it indulges in the problem and it, in a manner that you you would never do so if that person the person of interest is actually present it's only in their absence when the israelites were in the wilderness and were beginning to feel ungrateful and impatient it says in the bible that they grumbled against the lord in their tents they didn't take their complaints to god which is something they could have done and god actually welcomes that but they grumbled against the Lord in their tents, meaning they complained about God to one another in their homes. 
Um, they weren't going to the priest. They weren't. They they were gossiping about God, right? In a sense, criticizing God behind His back, so to speak. You, know, you can't really go behind God's back, but it, it was their way of venting about God to one another, but not to God. Um, they were enjoying, in a sense, this sort of twisted payback against God, uh, giving Him the silence treatment while paying attention to Him in a in a, in a way. Just by complaining about him to one another, that's what gossip is. Often, uh, that's how it's done against our neighbors in their absence. So that's that's reason number four and five: grumbling and venting out of our misery. And somewhat related is number six. Uh, another thing that commonly motivates gossip is unforgiveness. Unforgiveness when a person is holding on to an offense and there's no reconciliation there's no grace no willingness to forgive or to make peace in many instances that doesn't lead to silence it just leads to gossip to chatter to to breadcrumbs that ultimately trace back to the wound that's still there it's still open and and in this case the the friend or the neighbor Family member who is listening to this isn't helping but enabling. Uh, it, it, this is not the kind of listening that helps helps someone um, heal. It entitles them to remain vengeful and bitter, um, and that's not loving. There's there's a kind of listening that isn't loving, and so you can you can indulge and enable gossip if if you leave that alone the kind of gossip driven by unforgiveness. That's number six. And finally, number seven, and this may be the one that kind of encompasses all of these, and that's pride. Um, if you think about it, right, it's, it's pride that says, I must control the narrative. Uh, it's pride that says, I can do with others' stories what I want to do with them. And it's my interpretation, my understanding, my feelings about their lives that ought to be heard, and no second opinion, um, no rebuttal, no refutation should be heard. It's also pride that says, it's okay for me to throw all of these relationships with my friends and family and neighbors under the bus as I try to gain the things I want for myself, power, belonging, entitlement to grumbling, venting, holding on to unforgiveness. I can throw all these relationships, all these people's feelings under the bus as I hold on to what I need for myself. That takes a lot of pride to operate that way. It takes a very hard, just rock hard, stubborn pride to exalt yourself above everyone this way. So pride, a prideful heart, that's number seven. And here's really the point underneath all these points that the motives behind gossip are all essentially heart-related or, or existential, if you will, and not situational. No one's making you gossip. It's what you are, therefore, that causes you to gossip. We, remember, we are gossipers, therefore we gossip. Gossiping doesn't make us gossipers. Being gossipers make us gossip. It's who we are. It's our broken and sinful nature 
to gossip. And here's what this means. Uh, what this means is then whatever remedy it is that we will turn to now to help us, it needs to change not only our behavior, right? Just kind of prick our conscience a little bit, just get our act together in the coming weeks. That will not go very far. More fundamentally, this remedy must be able to somehow change our hearts. Give us a completely new heart because it is in our heart's nature to gossip. It's in our heart's nature to be prideful, to be unforgiving, to grumble, to want to belong at any, at any cost, to submit to the fear of man. That is not just what we do, but it's who we are on the inside. So what can do this? What can change our hearts, melt our heart of stone, and give us a, a beating heart of flesh? So let's reflect on this last point now, and that is how the gospel remedies our gossiping hearts. Okay, how the gospel remedies our gossiping hearts. And when it comes to the gospel, I want you to remember for a moment what we talked about a few weeks ago from Hebrews, and that is Katanoeo Jesus, consider Jesus. Right. Uh, understanding the gospel really means that. Considering Jesus and considering him some more, pressing into who he is, why he came, what he achieved, what he promises us, and, and pressing into that, leaning into that. Okay. So let's consider him together as we try to consider the gospel. So let's start here. Consider how Jesus is trustworthy. And, and consider how trustworthy he is with all of your shameful secrets. And yet, how he does not ever use that against us in order to exclude us, in order to judge us behind our backs, but using that knowledge to bring us into his truth to be forgiven and reconciled with him. Only towards that end. His, his truth always comes with his grace. And consider how when he has all the power in the world and he's entitled to all the power in the world, he, he never uses that power to keep us out, but to bring us into his innermost circle by healing us, befriending us. He brings us into the circle even of the Godhead, adopting us into the family of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. His saving power draws us close, doesn't keep us out. And consider how he therefore sets us free from our fear of man. One of the things that God says to us in scriptures is be still, as in, as in be completely still, be quiet even, and know that I am God. Know that I am your savior and your deliverer. Don't fear those who can only touch your body. Fear the one who holds your body and soul in his hands, uh, not just temporarily, but eternally. Fear him. Know that you belong to him. Know that he, he claims you as, as his own, as your maker and as your redeemer. And let that fear of God begin to uh, push out, leave you no room uh, with fear of man. When God begins to look bigger, people begin to look small. And consider him who, who says 
to you and me, uh, don't grumble. Don't, don't complain. Uh, don't be unforgiving. Uh, vengeance is mine. I will make all things right. And you can cast all of your fears and worries upon me. You can vent to me. Because right? he can take it. And he will never abuse it. Consider his cross where he shows you his endless willingness to forgive you how he's willing to lay down the, the justice he is entitled to so that you would be forgiven, and how he calls you, therefore, at the cross to go overcome evil, not with evil, but with good. Don't overcome evil with gossip, but with words of grace and words of forgiveness. Because you have all these things in Christ. Do you believe that, and has that changed your heart? As a people of God and disciple of Christ, are you conforming to this image of the one who holds all of your secrets in his hands only to draw near to you, only to heal you, only to reconcile you to himself? Have you been transformed by this encounter with your Lord and Savior? Then I think, right, to the degree that we are pressing into that and considering that, we will be able to offer others the same. And it will begin to impact the way we, we interact with, with one another, uh, especially here, especially with, with the body of Christ. Uh, for one, you begin to put on like a gospel filter for yourself, for your own speech, okay? Um, you will begin to consider, as you consider Jesus, consider whether your speech reflects him. Um, is what I'm going to say be a blessing to this person? Um, is there grace and truth in my speech, just as there is in Jesus' speech? Will this be encouraging to share? Okay. Uh, will this communicate to the person I'm sharing about that I'm a trustworthy friend? Would I even share it if that person was here? Um, do I have permission to share? And by the way, when in doubt, don't. Um, is this even necessary to share? Uh, because Proverbs says, when words are many, sin is not absent. Right? Is, is this even necessary speech? Will my speech glorify God? Will, will it please him? Will the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart, be pleasing in his sight? You begin to filter through your, your speech a bit more as you realize how how you've been actually saved by uh, a trustworthy Lord and Savior. Um, and, and so you, you try to hold on to your trustworthiness uh, as much as you can, as you try to reflect his image, as you try to please him, as you try to love your neighbor as he has commanded you to. The other thing, the other thing that we'll begin to do here is we, we should and we can begin to offer our brothers and sisters in Christ some accountability now and then. Uh, a certain check on even the potential of gossip. Um, we as members of the church, right, have all vowed to, to keep and pursue the purity and peace of the church when we became members, right? And this is a part of that. This is a part of doing that. So if you were to hear someone say, um, have you heard of so-and-so, you know, um, having this or that happen to them? 
Or, hey, don't tell this to anyone, but let me tell you about so-and-so. Or, or I want to tell you some, something about someone, but promise me not to. When you, when you hear things like that, you can and you should respond to that with, hey, I think that could lead us to gossip. Let's not go there. Let's change the subject here. Um, or, or if they even you know, have said it already, they want to continue engaging with you, you can stop it there and say, let's not say any more on that because I don't know if this person would be all right with us talking about them. Have you approached this person and spoken to them about this? Do you have permission to share this? We can gently and yet firmly put a check on even the potential of gossip surfacing in the church. Why? Because at church, we look at it differently. And by a church, I mean as Christians. Right? And, and this applies to even how we operate outside the church, in homes and workplaces and classrooms and friendships. We don't operate by the world's standards. We operate by Christ's uh, standards. Um, and here's, here's another way we, we combat it as well, um, that when we do gossip, we repent quickly. <laughs> That's another way of combating gossip, replacing gossip with the the language of grace, Uh, confessing before everyone that you've sinned against, the Lord, the the listener, the person you gossiped about, and and leaning on grace, and being forgiven of that. And when you do forgive the person who gossiped against you, right, um, and you you, you forgive your debtor, that also, uh, is a way of combating gossip. Right? You are not, you're not gossiping about the gossiper. Right? Uh, you, then, then you're simply o- trying to overcome evil with more evil. You combat it with good. You combat it with grace. Okay. By the way, this is what I would tell you if you were to come to me with a problem. Right? Hey, pastor, have you heard that so-and-so is... Um, this and that. I would say, well, have you spoken to them about this? Um, that's probably the first thing I would say. And I may, I may say to you, hey, I think this may lead us to gossip, so let's not go there. Um, but according to Matthew 18, if there is, even if there is uh, sin, uh, the, the first thing I would encourage you to do is confront that person yourself. As Galatians 6 says, in order to restore that person with the spirit of gentleness. So I'm just as responsible as uh, preventing this and combating it uh, with you. And guess what? I'm just as in need of forgiveness in this area because I have failed in this many times as well. We're all in need of God's grace to forgive us of our gossiping and to restore us to um, speaking words that heal words that build up and words that edify one another. And through all these means, we, we combat it, we prevent it, we, we diagnose it properly. And we cultivate, therefore, uh, as our ultimate purpose, to, to build this, this bride of Christ up, the church up, uh, not tearing it down. And, and we, we do have to be surgical. We do have to be firm. Uh, when we do notice something as cancerous uh, and something that's as harmful as gossip. Take it upon yourselves 
not to police language, right? But to inject more grace into your conversations, more encouragement into your conversations, more of Christ, more of thankfulness towards Him, mindfulness of Him in your interaction with one another. And I hope that that will begin to be, be visible as one of our relational and cultural pillars of the church and help us pursue a healthy church. Let's ask God's help in, in maturing us in this direction. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, uh, we, uh, we are your little children um, in need of your instruction and guidance, and we often, Lord, confess we, we do um, mess up and fail, and uh, sometimes we contribute to not the peace and purity of the church, but to its disorder and division. Uh, and we cause um, heartbreaks, and we cause um, um, div- uh, just separation of close close friends. We, we contributed to that, and we ask you to forgive us. We ask for your mercy. Uh, we ask you to give us uh, wisdom now to identify it and to combat it uh, as a people of God. Lord, help us... Uh, to be a people whose, whose meditations of their hearts and whose, whose uh, words on their mouths would be only pleasing uh, to you, uh, pleasing in your sight. Uh, Lord, help us in this. Walk with us in this. Shepherd us in this direction, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.